You've heard the music. Now hear the story. From director Frank Marshall, HBO's new documentary, The Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Chronicles the highs and lows of brothers Barry, Maurice, and Robin Gibb, and the evolution of their prolific career as the Bee Gees. Through interviews and never-before-seen footage, discover how they navigated the ever-changing music industry and complex dynamics of family and fame. Watch it now on HBO and HBO Max. Hi, I'm Robert Hilburn, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Have a great day. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. Music, culture, conversation, and good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello there, dolls. Come on in and welcome again to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon podcast. You're about to kick back and relax. Don't think about anything else. With me, the world's most famous groupie. And I love that title because all it means to me is love and love of music, the people who make it, and just wanting to be around that energy. And of course, I had my own band, the GTOs, Girls Together Outrageously. And today, again, I am welcoming one of my best, best girlfriends. She's right up there, Miss Mercy Fontenot of the GTOs. And by the way, I've written a few books, several books. You can actually find all my stuff on Amazon. And I have a a website, PamelaDebar.com. And you can find out about my writing workshops that I give all over the world and my rock and roll tours. And I even have clothes that I'm going to present soon, the groupie line. So wait for it. And I'm really excited and happy to be part of the Pantheon podcast network of rock and roll shows. You can find all of our Pantheon shows on Spotify, Radio.com, Pandora, all those places, all those platforms. And we have about 40 different podcast distribution platforms these days. We are really growing. And we love telling the stories about the great moments in rock and roll history in all kinds of ways. There's something for everybody. So many shows, so many flavors to choose from. You can find it all at PantheonPodcast.com. And I'm going to have new announcements at the top of every Miss Pamela DeBar's pajama. You know, we just changed the name. It used to be Miss Pamela's Pajama Party. And now, and I thought, you know what? People know me by my name, Pamela DeBar. So I suggested, let's call it Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. I hope you like that tag because... That was my decision. And um, finally, this is the one that matters the most to us. If you enjoy what we do here, please tell your friends. So they will go to PantheonPodcast.com and listen to all of our fabulous DJs.
And today, like I said, I have the fabulous Miss Mercy of the GTOs. And she has so many interesting stories to tell. Our last podcast, we talked mainly about the GTOs and our amazing time with Zappa and all that. I'm going to ask her a lot of questions today about her life. And then we're going to, you know, segue a little into Graham Parsons, who was really important to both of us. So please, let's welcome Miss Mercy today. With the log cabin as the central hub of activity for the marginal figures of the Los Angeles freak scene, Zappa didn't so much have to search for the right artists to document on his label, but instead simply wait for them to turn up. With Wildman Fisher already on the books, the next act to fascinate him was a group of dancers, already established on the downtown scene, who would, over time, become the GTOs. The intentions of the GTOs were basically to be a, a girls group uh, without real, real vocal training and to also get some of the cutest guys possible. That's my opinion of what it was. It was a, also a girl thing. One of the first, you know, before the Spice Girls or any, any of that, it was a, a girl thing. And these girls weren't simply drawn to each other through their dancing. Various members of the GTOs had first encountered each other on the Sunset Strip as part of the flourishing groupie scene. And although women seeking sexual intimacy with the famous and the powerful was not a new phenomenon, since the British invasion exploded on American shores in the mid-60s, a subculture had quickly begun to develop. Hello, dolls. Like I said, I am here with my beloved Miss Mercy. Your other half? My that other half. That was the sweetest thing in the world that you said. Well, I really believe that, and I feel that. And you know, look what I'm wearing today. I gave you that. Yes, you did. It's a friendship necklace. It is. <laughs> it she, is. She gets me the sweetest things <sighs> because we are madly in love, right? Yes, we are. Okay, good. Well, anyway, this is my second bout with Miss Mercy here on Pamela DeVar's podcast. And we're going to talk about some things we didn't get to talk about last time. We mainly spoke about the GTOs last time. Okay. And so uh, this time I want to talk about, you know, your history. You know, when did you start getting into rock and roll in a huge way? Uh, my mother was into it in the 50s. She was had all the Sun records and just traveling because my father was a gambler and he was always getting cement shoes promised to him. Uh, anyway, Cement uh, shoes, for those of you who didn't quite understand that. Cement shoes promised to him. <laughs> he gambled okay. a lot and owed a lot of money, so we went where every racetrack was and all over from Florida to to Dallas, to Seattle, to San Mateo, I keep going back to. Uh, all, there was always a racetrack there, here, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I would hear all sorts of music, actually country roots and blues things and all that stuff. It wasn't even rock and roll, it was basically music, so. All, all kinds. All kinds. But but when you hit, Even like, that terrible stuff, that, that awful stuff like Lord's Walk. Okay. <laughs> Awful. It was really terrible. Or your hip parade? How about your hip parade? Your hip parade wasn't too bad. There were some decent things on that. Like once in what? A while. Name me one. Well, I, how much is that doggy in the window? That's how much is. I that know what doggy you're saying. That's uh, Patty Page or who was it? It was cute. Okay. Okay. She doesn't like it. Okay. So um, I'm gonna try to hear walking the dog. <laughs> or Rufus Thomas. Thank you. I know you would. That was a good segue, Mercy, from doggy in the window to walking the dog. Well, you have, you have, you have segue, se segue, what, what? segue. What does that mean? Like, 
Never mind. I know what it means. <laughs> I get it. Okay. Okay. So, when you were like 15 or, or so, though, something changed, right? No, 12. I was 12. 12? What happened at 12? The Tammy show? How old was oh, I when yeah. the Tammy show was No, you out? were about 15. That's why. Well, the Tammy. Yeah. But I was only, you know, it's very confusing about my life because at 15, I was also in Haight-Ashbury. So never, yeah. I was almost in Haight-Ashbury. Yeah. So it must have been the end of 15. Okay. And that must have been the beginning of, of 15. Yes. When the Tammy show came out. Yes, the yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that Tammy show. T A M I. It's a it's a documentary. American music something. <laughs> I don't know what it all means either. Amazing, but... amazing show. Yeah. They blended all, blended everybody from the Stones to the Animals to the Jan and Dean on their. Actually, on their sidewalk surfing, which were really skateboards. They, they were hosting. Yep, yeah. they were. It's it's an incredible show. You, you can find the James it on James Brown YouTube. was so great on that show that the Stones didn't even want to follow him. But it had so many different people on that show. It was just, I don't even know how it was allowed to get out because it was an interracial thing. And at that time, things were very racial. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was, it's a very important thing. And I remember it real well, too, of course, because I was a Stones freak, of course. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, we we spoke a lot about them on the last time we we had our, this wonderful experience together. Yes, we did. So after that, okay, when did you actually decide? Okay, I want to meet the people playing this music. Oh God, uh, hmm. it just you know I, there was Tom Donahue at KYA uh, in it, San Francisco. Well, he was in San Francisco. I was in San Mateo. Okay. But the Bo Brummels came to town. So I went and followed them. And it, and also, you have to realize that Tom Donahue started uh, FM radio. Oh. He okay. did. He was the inventor of FM radio. And he was your favorite DJ you listened to? Well, no. Sly Stone was on K-Soul at the same time. And oh. they were friends. Wow. Yeah. Cool. That was nutty. So, but, okay, what made, you know, people always want to know, what is a groupie, really? And how does it begin, you groupied them? So for some reason, you decided, okay, I'm going to meet the Bo Brummels. I mean, what no, made you actually, think you I could didn't do decide, that? I didn't decide that. They actually walked into a restaurant while I was there with my mother at the mall, and there they came walking in. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you know it was them? Well, you couldn't help but know it was them. <laughs> Nobody looked like that in San Mateo. <laughs> okay. So, and, and that was Tom Donahue's group, by the way. What do you mean that was his group? He made the Bo Bromos. Oh, it's his group. Really? It's kind of like the Simon of, you know, he I made know that group. I know nothing about Tom Donahue. Oh, my God. It's fascinating. You, people need to know about Tom uh, Tom Donahue. He was a big, very heavy set dude. But uh, there was he's a beginner. Look it up. FM okay. Radio. He's one wow. that started it. Okay. So you were lucky to, have, to be able to hear that that young. Yes, I was. When oh. he started putting on those long albums. Yeah, but he okay. Broke the mode. I want to go back to the Bo Brummels. So when you saw them walk in the, the mall having lunch with your mom, what did you? you did they you, weren't having lunch with my mom. I was. Having <laughs> no, lunch I know. <laughs> did you? Did you say, okay, mom, I want to go meet those guys? No, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I met them, but I did. They came back, and I got in trouble for being because I was underage for being at their gig. I remember oh. that. Mm. They played Sandwichell. And how'd you meet them? I just followed John around. He was a drummer. John okay. Peterson. Wow. I used to have a photo of him, and I lost it. You followed him around. And well, did... yeah, and then I got in trouble for being, you know, underage. And 
couldn't follow him around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what happened next? I mean, okay, that gave you a taste. Oh, I followed the Stones to uh, Sacramento with my high school girlfriends. I must have been 15. That is the one where uh, we were in Sacramento when uh, Keith got electrocuted. We... Oh, wow. No, it's true. Yeah, it's I know. I remember They were that. playing with Patty and the Bell, uh, Blue Bells, and they were... That had uh, what was I? I sold my heart to the junk man out over the rainbow. I love I sold my heart to the junk man because I really did. But anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, I was with my uh, my uh, one of my high school friends had moved up there with uh, her family, and so we were in a car. Moved up where? Sacramento. Oh, okay, Sacramento. You went Sorry to meet them. Me. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so we went to the Stones concert, and then suddenly. Keith gets electrocuted and goes like five feet up off the ground, and uh, you, they you, you witnessed that? Yeah, I saw that. Wow! And they uh, <laughs> they uh, shut the curtain, so I said, "Let's go!" So we all jammed out of there and got in the car, and followed. The car came out of the garage underneath the garage, I believe, and uh, we followed that car, which had the stones in it. We yeah. followed the stones down the freeway and everything. Then they stopped at a gas station and changed into another car, and we followed that car. Oh. <laughs> and it came to a little bungalow hotel and um, motel. And um, we got out, and we passed where Mick was, and you could hear him kind of like pacing and really upset about Keith. Of course, Keith was in the hands of the ambulance and police. I have heard stories. Wow. I have heard rumors. I'm not going to verify them because I wasn't there that they beat, beat him up. I'm not sure. Who beat him up? Police. I'm not Keith? sure. Yeah. Really? That was I'm a... not sure, but there was rumors. Huh. That's what they did. Wow. It might have, you know, because the stones probably were a big threat to him. Yeah. Um. So then we, we went to this other room, which happened to be Brian Jones room knocked on the door the door was open so we just walked in I, th I think there were three of us and he was going through his suitcase looking at clothes and at that time I was really interested in sex not that I was really ever interested in sex anyway but anyway I know so, um, I know that about you well for a few times a few times it happened but uh that was good anyway uh, <laughs> so he was there going through his suitcases and Charlie Watts was in there because he had lost his key or didn't have his key to get to his, his apartment. And we just sat there and just watched him. And, you know, Brian Jones is one of my favorite in the world. Oh, my God. Was, was he, okay, at that point, were you a fanatic of his, like you became later? Or did that help create that? I was in awe that? being in there, kind of, you know, seriously. But it wasn't For as, sure. It wasn't it in as awe that I would have been probably a little later. Okay. In other words, it... It just was cool, you know. It was just kind of cool. So then we got up, and he didn't ask us to leave, I don't think. But we left, and uh, <laughs> that was one of my first encounters. Yeah, well, and so you hung out with Brian and Charlie at age 15. Yes. That's pretty amazing. This has got to be before all this <clears throat> stuff happened. I remember when I first tried to meet the Stones, I was 16. So it was the second time they came to America, I believe. And I went with Victor to the Ambassador Hotel. And um, <laughs> and <clears throat> I was trying to meet Mick, of course. But Captain Beefheart, you know, Vic Victor's cousin, 
took us to meet Bill and Charlie. So we hung out with Bill and Charlie, and we were listening to, I was listening to blues for the very first time. I'd never heard it. And I was like, wow, okay. And I was nodding my head, looking around, saying, okay, everyone's nodding their heads. And I thought, I better nod my head. <laughs> we were just kids, it's right? so sorry, because I never really realized that Captain Beefheart was, and I would have been right there. I, I know. Right there I with know. him. Anyway, we, I tried to meet Mick, and all that long story's in the book, but... Um, I, I also was very curious about Brian Jones because he was so be beautiful. But when I encountered him in passing, he wasn't very nice. <laughs> so I just waited around and just tried to see what they were doing in all these little bungalows in the Ambassador. And at one point, some little teenage girls finally got up the nerve to knock on Brian's door. And when he opened the door, he was in his underwear and some cowboy boots. <laughs> I didn't even heard this one. This oh, yeah. one's good. And he was <laughs> God, he's and he was holding a broom in his hand. <laughs> no, I, I can still see this so vividly. You know, some things you, you never forget. I know right? you never told me this. This is very interesting. And and he said, If you girls don't leave me alone, I'm going to drag you in here and fuck you. He said that to these teenage girls in his underwear and cowboy boots holding a broom. Well, he just wanted to get rid of you. So, 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 so then later, I said, okay, this is interesting. So I went around the back and peeked in his window to see what he was doing in there. And he had two very scantily clad Hispanic girls in there with him. Probably and he the was maids. frolicking it's with probably them. Probably the darn maids. <laughs> he was having fun. Okay. So, yeah, he was pretty wild, I think. And he was your favorite. You even wrote a... A diary. Your diary was called Mar Marigold, right? Right. Yeah. That did see him, yes. And, and he's also in my song, I Have a Paintbrush in My Hand, A Color of Triangle, uh, which is, um, Lowell George uh, did the music, but it is uh, actually about a fantasy trip between my my boyfriend, Bernardo, and Brian and me. Yeah. It was a triangle. Yeah, but it was a real. It was an imaginary, yes, it was. fabulous triangle. Yes, it was. Now... Bernardo. No, really, because I would have never done three way anyway. But Bernardo was a BTO. We used to call the boys together outrageously, and uh, we danced with them. Carlos, Bernardo, a, a kid, redhead named Wednesday, and yeah. Obi, who is now Marlo. And um, so, did you and Bernardo have sexual relations? Much later. Much later, but you did, huh? Finally, yeah. But he was not even my boyfriend anymore. I don't know what... I was in San Francisco. I don't know how that happened. It was very strange. But, you know, uh, talking, <laughs> about, talking about the BTOs, there's one yes. that had an exclusive story. Well, Bernardo was like Haight-Ashbury's uh, king. I mean, everybody loved he was Bernardo. He was like he Cleopatra. Was he was insanely beautiful. What and was his last name? Saldana. Oh, yeah. But uh, right. there was another interesting guy... Uh, uh, Carlos Lorenzo, mm -hmm. who that became actually, I went with him to his mother's house, and the uh, they were after him to get in. The, they just missed him. The the people who, who draft people, those people. Oh, I'm whatever. And they so he had to run. He had to leave. He had to get the heck out of there. So he goes to New York, and ends up in the Living Theater, which was a incredible theater that was very underground and very famous. Yeah. Infam infamous let, yeah, me, I remember. let me go that way and he goes to Paris so Correct. in Paris here's Salvador Dali mm -hmm. looking at him and I guess he said I want him he was the most beautiful boy ever I had sex with him too 
You did? Amazing, isn't it? How anyway, was that? What was the same? It's always the same to me, most of the time. But anyway, it was nice. <laughs> kind of hard to have sex with friends. Anyway, so yeah. anyway, yeah, I guess uh, so. Those but the, the, the days. incredible thing is that um, about him is that uh, Dolly went and got him, and he became with Dolly for the rest of his life. Yeah, if you was, can imagine, with Salvador Dolly, he was he with, was a model. Yeah. He's in a lot of his things. Well, yeah. he was also his assistant. Exactly, assistant yeah. for getting his voyeur couples. He, he <laughs> that's, but he, he's he, assistant to the estate too. Yeah, he was. And he 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 wound up, you know, after Dolly died, he took care of that. No, estate I saw him on TV. Died. I said, "Who the heck oh. is that?" Oh my God, he was so different. Oh my God, he was like so so together. Anyway, yes, he was, and I saw him during that time. He came to visit me I probably in me. the. I mean, you told me. Early 80s or something. And it was amazing to see him again. He was my favorite BTO. I loved them all, but wow. God, I just loved Carlos. Yeah, Carlos is very beautiful. Anyway, he's like in those photos, in those pictures that Dolly drew, that male, the male, I think he was the one on the cross, that beautiful guy is him. So then he wrote a book called Sex, something like Sex, Salvador Dolly and Me. Yeah. (laughs) But he died. He's dead. Yeah, Carlos died gone, too but... young. Yeah, and Bernardo's gone too. Bernardo it was a sad story. Bernardo had AIDS, and he actually um, was tied up by because there's a lot of crack at this time. I was addicted to crack. He got back on crack, and he um, got uh, what? What it was? They might have been crack friends, or it might have been a what? That other thing, invasion, uh, home invasion. But they tied him up. And he escaped and went off the second story where he lived and hit his main, one of his main organs on the water, the water things, the water, the fire hydrant? No, water things with the power, the water power. Uh, anyway. He, <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay. That, that was he, he hit himself on something going down. Right. Okay. Which, and, and, and he was never the same. No, he was dead. Okay. Oh. <laughs> No, he was dead. Well, wait with, a minute. I no. thought he also fell out of a window and broke every bone in his body oh, and lived. Oh, that's I had two. Oh, my bo- God. Oh, wait a minute. There's two boyfriends of mine. Yes. That fell six stories. Bernardo did that in San Francisco much earlier. Oh, but didn't he break every bone in his body or Probably. Something? I don't that's know. That's what, what I, I heard. Most of them probably shattered. And then I think, uh, uh, who was the other one that fell out the window? I think it was <laughs> Arthur Lee. I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it was Arthur Lee. Oh, Arthur sure. Lee also fell out a window. I think he okay, did. Okay, let's let's talk about I'm Arthur. I'm not positive. If you know anything different, let's, right, Pamela? Let, let, let's let's talk about Arthur. How did you meet him? You you met him way after Love was big and famous, correct? No, not exactly. I met Arthur Lee about 1969. <laughs> I was friends with Miss. Devin Wilson, who is actually Dolly Dagger. Correct. Who came here, supposedly, that was sent here by Keith Richards to show up at my doorstep. And I don't know what Marlowe's trip is with all his stuff, but I know what happened. And so this confliction is going to go on. It doesn't matter. Yep, doesn't matter. Um, I remember this intently. I was like, suddenly there's a knock at the door. I look outside, there's a taxi outside. This is when I lived with uh, Marlo and Miss Christine or Ricky. I think Ricky was there. On La Brea. Exactly. Correct. So, at my door is 
one beautiful black girl and one Spanish girl, I believe, which was Eric Burns' wife, Angie. And she goes, Keith Richards sent me to your house. We got to go find Graham Parsons. I need to get high. Okay. This is true. And she had, uh, Jimmy was dead and she had his wardrobe and she hung it in my house. Okay. We would like hitchhike around and she was, Quincy Jones, she was staying at Quincy Jones's house. And we're talking about Devin Wilson now. Yes, this is Dolly Devin. Dagger, yeah, yes. I'm sorry. I, I knew her too. I know she, she sold scared your stuff. me. Okay, she all right. Scared me. We, we were friends. In fact, one time we got picked up by John. Actually, on the way to Graham's to get some heroin, we got picked up by John Aston of the Adams family. <laughs> and he, we smoked pot with him. I remember that night. It's really true. I'm not. This that is, is a real fabulous. It was. Fabulous. I don't remember that. Well, you weren't there. No, but I mean, I don't remember you telling me that. Well, I'm telling you now. I totally remember that. Night. Okay. So we go over there and we find Graham and we do heroin. Everything goes fine, and I hang out with Devin for a little bit. Everything goes fine. That's just incredible. <laughs> well, luckily, because people die on that shit. You know, <laughs> that's what I meant. Everything went fine, and. uh <laughs> I don't know her story because Devin's very, very famous for being a liar. Yes. Uh, or, you know. Exaggerator. Exaggerator, whatever. And uh, so whether or not Keith sent her there, I don't know. But I don't know how she knew where I lived or if he, what, what what the real true story was. It could be possible because Keith and Graham were best friends. Yes, I don't they know. were. So that's that. I think it was 1970, though, not in 69. Because Jimmy really sure. died in 1970. Well, then it was 1970. I'm yes. sorry. Okay. My ears are a little bungled. That's okay. And I remember this story about Graham, because one time, we okay, Graham Parsons was a very dear friend of ours. For some reason, he took a shine to Mercy and I. Very odd, since he was from the South, and you wouldn't think that he would latch on to a couple of nuts in the GTOs, but he did. Well, we latched on to him, too. I mean... Right. Well, you latch first. Well, <laughs> you found it first. Well, no. Well, you and I spotted him first. No, together. you you knew about him because of the birds. Yeah. Well, get... I knew about him because of the birds. Yes. But we saw him together at the at the um, premiere of the Yellow Submarine. Yeah, you think and it was we that? We said, "Who is that?" And I think it was you are what you uh, you are what I you already... eat. That's oh, what really? I always thought. But we have a di different. I know. But it's okay because he had a yellow submarine. But he doesn't have a yellow submarine suit. I've seen it. No, and it's he not does. Yellow. No. Oh no, it's red with yellow submarines. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I've okay. seen it too. Fine over nudie suits. In fact, suits. an old friend of mine owns that jacket. Nudie Cohen, we're talking about, who he just Nudie. adored. Nudie. She worked for him. But nudie he hit on suits. Her. Yeah, he hit on me. He chased me around. Nudie chased me around. I, I worked there for one week, <laughs> and more than anything, I wanted a nudie suit. So God, I wanted a nudie belt. It was. I know we wanted we wanted his stuff. It was so expensive though. So I was working there for a short time and he chased me around. He used to have saddles in his dressing rooms for so people could I don't know why they had saddles in his dressing rooms, but he chased me around the saddle. I mean, it was just an incredible thing. I, I it actually occurred that Nudie chased me around these saddles. And his wife, Bobby, also worked there, and she fired me because of it. And he offered me a suit. He said, design your own suit. You know, you can have stars. I wanted stars and moons and everything on, on a nudie suit, a mini, mini dress version. But then he said I had to spend half an hour with him alone for that suit. 
I think I would have done that. Really? Mercy. Why not? <laughs> well, I didn't. So I never got my nudie suit. But anyway. But he would ask me. Anyway. So, so you and I got into Graham together. And then we started hanging out with Graham. We both freaked out. This is before Mercy shot heroin with him. And this is 60, early 69, no, late 68. We started hanging out with him. Okay. Yeah. So, and... We did the GTOs where he got but I don't even know. We didn't, I mean, we, we, we tried to keep it going for so long. Remember no, when, but I mean, what year did we really become? Because I went to Memphis. I don't think I was still in the GTOs in 1971. 70. Well, we yeah, you were. We, we, oh my God. We, we were still trying to make it happen. Remember, Miss Christine was with Albert Grossman, of all things. Well, I would be with Albert Grossman, too. I mean, that's a smart move. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, she was. And they were. we were supposed to go on the road with Todd Rundgren, remember? And that was probably Exactly. 70. I wouldn't I would visit her with Todd. And we yeah. went to actually the Woodstock, not the crazy festival that i really have no regards for and did not go i don't okay. think it's fabulous i think it's capitalistic nightmare anyway i'm not a big fan of that at all but monterey pop yes Watt sacks yes okay but what i was i wouldn't i hitchhiked because she was living with todd yes that was her boyfriend before albert grossman well she she could miss christine had foresight that was unbelievable yeah she did she did and she had iggy and she had all these she, she was a, amazing. Arthur brown she had a lineup i mean she we she was real GTOs. smart i was smart she was smart uh, at finding things <laughs> the people we had very good taste in music let's put it that way no we had actually we had a for for whatever it is insight foresight yeah. Foresight about finding people who were going to be. Oh there. yeah, for sure. And I still have make that. It. I still have that kind of foresight. I think. Um, so anyway, so I hitchhiked over. Uh, he was recording. Believe you, believe this or not, he was doing stage fright with the band. It at the. I guess it must have been the big pink house. I'm not really sure, but that's where I was. And I'm sitting there with uh, Rick Danko, who I got a crush, uh, crush on later after he was dead. Realize <laughs> trying bad. to give him tr trying to give him lyrics to Stage Fright because he didn't have them all yet. Now what is Stage Fright? It's a huge album by the band. Oh, really? But the man with the Stage Fright trying okay. to give him all his money. Okay, Make cool. Like all right. God, it was a really great. How many people really actually got to watch the band in their own? It, yeah. Very few. No, recording. you've been in the right place at the right time many times, Mercy. I don't know why how we got on that because of Todd. I'm just I and know, Albert. Yeah, I, I know we're 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 segueing again, but uh, it's all right. We should go back to Graham, okay? <laughs> I'm sure you remember the night. How can we get back there? How can we footstep back there? <laughs> I don't. The band have absolutely nothing to do with Graham. But. I don't know how you we we wound up talking about Miss Christine's fashion sense. Wound up no, Todd, you talk about Albert, Albert Grossman. Grossman. Yes, mm -hmm. I don't. I'm sorry. You know what? You have to follow us because we're a little bit screwy. Yeah. <laughs> we're going back to Graham. So um, he, remember how important country music was to him and how he tried to make everyone else understand how important Merle and George and Willie and all that were? Well, not only that, actually, he, he was also way into rhythm and blues. Yeah, he was for and sure. he was really, yeah. But I, the, the one that I he always bring up. up is when we were over there when they had those wagon wheels, half wagon wheels. Yes, when you in went the down. driveway on DeSoto here in Reseda. That's when we first went over there, and then he yes. was playing George Jones, and he was crying. I had a tear dropping out of his 
came dropping. He, he had he, a teardrop out wept. of his eye. He wept over that music. Oh, because he said, this is the King George Jones, the King of Broken Hearts, who I actually already liked because I've been through the South. and Yeah. I'd never heard of I mean, I'd heard of him, but I was not I like Merle Haggard, too, and I like Marty Robbins. I liked all those people. Well, for me, it was a amazing because, expansion because that a, I can never thank him enough for. You'd have to have a country channel in L.A., which you did have, but... You probably did not listen to yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't listen to, to rock it. And roll. Yeah, I didn't even know about it, really. And Graham opened my heart and soul to country music and changed my life forever. Well, he changed my life. He had a big influence. He was a big influence on my life. I love him. We went to visit Graham in the hospital after his motorcycle accident. See, I don't think people... I mean, we were very close with him at one point. Yes, we, we were the were. only two people visiting and him I, in the hospital. There's something that you write about and you you left me out. What? And I don't think you remember this. When he got that car, that Thunderbird, yeah, he came and got both of us. And he took us to the Lafayette Cafe in Venice. You remember the name of the cafe? Yes. Oh, my God, I've got to change that, and I'm with the band. I didn't remember the And it was the you and me, and he picked us up at I the know. Landmark. I said it was you and me. No, you didn't. You actually said he came and got me. No, Go read it again. I'll read it again because I totally knew you. We and always had these Goffin verbal boxing us? gloves. Okay, I know. Was, I had verbal boxing was gloves. It, was it Mickey Goffin with us too? Probably. Mickey Goffin. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Before he almost killed him for, yeah, for later. Like, yeah. yeah, so we don't need to put that yeah. out there. That's <laughs> none of your business, okay? <laughs> no offense. We love you, but we can't expose everything and that are personal to other people. So, so yes, he he took us to dinner. He yes, he did up. the Lafayette on Venice Beach. I, yes, I remember. Wow, the Lafayette was a soul food place. Um, right? Well, of course. It was yeah. Lafayette, Louisiana. Yes, it was a soul food yep. place, which doesn't exist anymore and hasn't for a long time. It was right on the beach. Correct. Wouldn't you love to just relive that night? And Well, we are right now. Be- when you talk about it, we relive it. Or no, I want to know what we said to Graham, what he said to us and all that. <laughs> I miss him so much. Probably said, let's get high. <laughs> By that time, oh. you know, one of the first things he ever said to me is, I want to shoot heroin. I looked at him like... One of the first things he said to you? Where? And no, when? actually at his new house. When he when I went to visit him, you weren't there. Well, that's not one of the first things he said to you. When I In the new house. <laughs> okay. In the new house. He had a new okay. house. I went with oh, Johanna. Geez. Okay. Ooh, he had a big crush. Yes, I know. Oh, I'm going to be quiet about that. I'm yes. just kidding. doesn't no, matter. No, he had a crush on um, um, and I went up, and he was watching. You couldn't say anything if he was watching Hee Haw. You couldn't even open your mouth, okay? <laughs> but when I walked into his, his other... It's true. It's really true. Oh, Graham. That's really true. I mean, he just hushed everybody up. Don't talk. Well, it was a, really one of the only ways you could see any kind of country music Well, Hee Haw was time. actually quite good. I know. There were some great people on it. George There's Jones pretty was on stupid it. Merle jokes, and everybody. But, uh, yeah, think well, about as long it. as you read Minnie Pearl, it was all right. A redneck show. Yeah, it was, but but so it was crossed over. Great music, though. But it crossed over. Anyway, yes, you saw Graham, and he said, "I want to shoot heroin." Yeah. I said, "Don't look at me." <laughs> at that point, you know. At that point, but then later, you went over there and did. Yeah, do well, heroin. you know, why not? Didn't you tell me about the time that he almost died and you had to walk around? He had to put ice cubes no, up his bum? You got that wrong, too. Okay, well, we're going to go on this Janis Joplin trip because this is where you're taking me. Okay. 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 Let's go.
Janice Joplin, whatever they say, OD'd at the place that we actually used to live with, yep. with the GTO, it's called the Landmark. Landmark Hotel. Okay, when I was over on La Brea, like you're saying, in that house. Yep, I remember it vividly. We had the same connection. I mean, I would do heroin once in a while when I was bored. I couldn't get, because getting meth was really hard here. Okay, in San Francisco, it was a breeze. L.A., unless I went to I started going to the doctors to get it. Okay, my family doctor, anyway. But you could get it easily on the streets here. Or it's very hard to find for us on a lower level. I don't know if you're rich, you can get anything, but we weren't. So, <laughs> wait a minute. Okay. Yes. George, who is the black dealer to Lucy and everybody. Miss Pucci. Yeah, all yeah, of okay. them. All right, Chichi um, yep. He came over to my house after seeing Janice. And he said, I want you to test out this heroin. And I'm going to say while you do it. So I tested it out and I started to go down. I started to go down way too fast. So he shot me up with cocaine and it brought me back up. And later that night, the news came over she was dead. Now, I think... My opinion is that George got given some, because the chemist that he usually got it from was not, was not there to test it. Okay. In the movie, they say that she got it from this guy, her old connection, who's white in, in, the, in the bio or whatever. But it was George, the black dude. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want the stuff in my house, so I go give it to Graham for free. He gave it to me. He said, I don't want this stuff. And he gave it to me, and I gave it to Graham. Well, Graham did it. Nothing happened to him, but his Spanish friend or his Mexican friend did it and OD'd. So he had to call Chuck Wine to come Whoa. save his life. Chuck Wine, the director of Rainbow Bridge. Our dear friend. Our dear, yeah. dear friend. And that's really a true story. I don't know... Everybody's books seem to be wrong, or whatever they're saying seem to be wrong. Do you have this in your book? This story in your book? Yes. Okay, Mercy I'm has sure. a book I, 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 that's oh, complete yeah. now, and it's going to pretty soon be released, right, Mercy? Well, I have the wonderful, incredible Lindsay Parker, Yahoo yep. music editor that yep. I met because of Pamela, really. I would see her on TV, and I would say, this girl's a, uh, she's got something special about her. And then I would see her at Pamela's house, my and it's not because she had parties. bright red hair either. I I would, <laughs> I would see her because she would tweak, uh, you know, main TV. She would tweak it. You know, like somebody that was, like when Leonard Cohen died, she actually stopped her role that she was supposed to be doing and reading the cards and just went, oh, no. Aww. You know, things, Aww. great things like that that were spontaneous. And she she was always, so I'd say to awesome. her one day, I saw you on TV and we became friends. Mm -hmm. And... I was sitting there, and uh, somewhere we were out to eat, and I said, I, somebody said, oh, you should write a book. Because I keep seeing the same the stories over and over and over. They spin around in my head. So I said, well, I don't really want to. And, and Lindsay pops up and says, I'll do it. This is two years ago. Yep. And I went, oh, my God, look who it is. And, wow. Well, okay, Lindsay. <laughs> so we worked with her for two years when we could. Because she's the busiest woman in the world. Yep, she's real busy, but she did take the time. Well, we did the interviews, and she threw it all together because I'm really crazy. 
I mean, <laughs> I'm not easy to follow. Like you'll probably find out in this interview that uh, I'm going on little trails that go off. I mean, yes. VH1 banned me because I was from uh, what was it? Yes, called? it was well, called Let's Spend the Night Together. Yeah, my, not, obviously, my, I could not. Stay my documentary on, track. on groupies and Mercy. Of course, I wanted her in them, obviously, because she's in the book. But she couldn't stay on track. I was so not, they, they cut her out. Yeah, which they lost a lot when they did that. Even though it would have been crazy, it would. Have been, I agreed that they lost a lot. Of course. Uh, anyway, I, so I so, fought yeah. for you. You know. So that. why am I saying that? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go again. Okay. <laughs> why was uh, I saying that? Um, can you? Remember? Yeah, we were talking about your book. Oh yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, so we did interviews. Oh boy. We did interviews and interview. We would meet when we could. Like on a Saturday and Sunday, and uh, we th- two years, and we finally got it. She actually took all my ranting. It's kind of a miracle that how she, she took put my it ranting, together. <laughs> and uh, she got my voice. Yeah, that's and really she incredible. Actually, put the book together. So it's together, but it needs to you know be mocked up. And she's changing a few things. She's just like changing a few, uh, something about Lucky. I mean, she's putting a few more things about oh, Lucky. She should okay. be more in it. Okay, good. And, and it's uh, called Permanent Damage, right? It's called Permanent Damage. Now, um, Permanent Damage is also the name of the GTO's album. Yes, and which, I thought that up when I was sitting there at a great which, big dining room table up in Laurel Canyon when Joe Bryant, my darling boyfriend, Joe Bryant, who actually, I just saw Elton John's story yesterday, that crazy movie. Mm-hmm. It was a very bizarre movie. It wasn't as bad as Queen, but it was pretty strange. It was musical. But anyway. Is Jabriath mentioned? No, of course not. Oh. Uh, the thing is, nobody would ever talk about Jabriath. I heard, I don't know if it's true. I know, Lee Childers could not give me the answer. Who used to work for him and is now gone. Um that they were made to sign a waiver when they worked for Bowie that they have never heard that name. Because Joe Bryant, who was the first one to come out gay, he and was a killed his career. Friend of ours. They yeah. had uh, more money behind them than anybody. Incredible musician. Absolutely. He, he was the second lead in Hair. Yeah, that's that's how we met him. Mercy met him the, the night that Hair premiered in L.A. Yeah, he came off the stage and grabbed me and... Threw me on stage. Yes, with him. we all went up on stage. That. It was so yeah. Great. From that point on, I was basically with him. He was gay, and I never had sex. Thank God, because he died of HIV. But every Paul Morrissey is like one of the biggest fans of the world of him. I mean, you know. And um, so, what? Well, well, okay, so where am I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> so no, you great. have gone through so many trails. What? I can't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> Oh, Elton John. I remember. Okay. You said that, it, that he get mentioned in Elton John's movie. That's okay. What you asked Okay, me. but why were you talking about Elton John? Uh, why was I talking about? <laughs> I don't know. This is what happens. Oh, my God. Hey, well, yes, okay. what happens when you're senile. And when you're old, no. I don't know. <laughs> when you've had a life that like we led, you get kind of like... Well, there's off. so many things that happened. Let's go back to Graham, shall we? Okay. So... Hippity-hop, <laughs> get on the horse, what... <laughs> We saw the Burrito Brothers play. Hey, that line. More than any other people minute, ever line. saw them. And all the rows lead back to you. So now we can be on Graham. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so we spent more time at burrito shows than any, any other people. I think the only other person that saw more burrito shows than Michelle? I did. No. Was their oh. road manager, Jimmy Sider. I think I, I mean, 
sometimes I would give, even go without you because I was so in love with Hillman, right? Right. I loved Graham to death, but I mean, I was in love with. You sure did love Hillman. him to death because that's what happened. Yeah, but it wasn't my fault. I know. That's the only one that upset me. It was 1973. Yeah. And it really upset me. It really upset me, And the me strange too. thing about that is, like, Michelle Myers called me from Warner Brothers and said, Graham's dead. You and called I, me. I know. I called, called you after. And I said, how in the heck does Warner Brothers know that Graham is dead? Well, strange to me. Well, they find, insider people find that stuff out. I'm sure they do. I was sitting at, I'm in my little apartment. Theorist. Everybody knows that. I was sitting in my little apartment in those Charlie Chaplin you know, that crazy, oh, yeah. wonderful place Charlie Chaplin built for Right, his, I remember that. That's for you, his, weren't you with Don? Then? No, you there. were just with Mike then. No, I wasn't with yes. anyone at that point. I think point. Mike was appearing. Michael? Mike DeBars. Uh, no, no, I met him in 74. Okay. January of 74. But on his birthday, actually. But no, I was sitting there <laughs> making a shirt at, at, you know, and the phone rang and you told me that. And it was so it just sad. Just broke my heart because the only one I really cared about that died. I made that point. Well, he he had so much more to do. That's why I think his spirit is still so very much alive. Well, <coughs> no, he blew up. Let's face it. And the funny thing is, if you think about it, he had a, a, an album cover that was different, but Gretchen would let that one come out. So they put him in the, up in the air like he's going to heaven. I it know. called the Grievous Angel. I'm going, this is a strange, this is six months after his death, I think. That well, that was the name of the, a song that he wrote, though. I understand, but they named the album that and his head's up in the clouds. Like I was, know. I, what kind of strange thing? It was a very bizarre thing. And the last cut on that is in my hour of darkness. This is bizarre. I know. He, he, I, I really believe he felt he had and it wasn't a, huge, on bizarre label. a huge mission, you know, and... <laughs> And I still try to continue that on my rock tours. I, I insist that people, I take them up to the Burrito Manor, where I used to hang out with them, and I insist that they listen to him. And if they haven't heard of him, I just regale them with every kind of story possible. I show, We go to A&M, and I show them the place across the street that used to be a burrito stand, because the burritos didn't have a name for their band after, they, after Graham absconded with Hillman. And that's how they got the name. Flying Burrito Brothers, because that's where they had lunch every day. Right, because I remember the burrito. So I, I, yeah, I take people there because people don't know these things. I think, I think music history is so important. You know. Well, I get that. Yes, they don't know anything. I mean, most of the stories that are right, most of the bios that are written on these people, are made by the record companies. Most of them, and they're 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 not the truth. A lot of them are not really the truth. I mean, they're just expound on things and make stuff up, and they're not really true. Okay, well, Most that's why my, we're here. We're yeah, going to set the yeah. record straight. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you have some really great writers. I mean, you could take, what is it, Robert Hilburn, or you could take, there's a lot of writers that were really great writers. Yes, yes of course. Michael Gilmore. Um, who's the one that did, yeah, yeah, just a whole bunch of them that are great, but there's a whole bunch that aren't Nick great. Nick Toshis, who just passed. There's a, so oh, I'm great. sorry. I don't know who he was, but you can explain to me later. I, um. Uh, <laughs> But the most of the record companies have people that are not really. They just make up this stuff. I mean, well, really. that well, it's everything is so different now than when we were hanging out with musicians. I know, it's but like, I mean, seriously, these these pop star things are all uh, now are just and and throughout history have just been what they want it to be. What do you mean, made up the stories yeah, about their not, lives? Not they, they might have an ounce of truth in them. 
But, you know, they all died on drug overdoses, and maybe that's not true, and they all did this, and this happened to them, and that happened to them. And they're not really true. They just sort of try to make people look like something that really weren't. Uh, if, read some of your bios. Read, read a lot of this stuff. I, mean, I never read. It's weird. I don't ever well, read Well, you bio. do. I've seen some of them, and they're just really... Just, but they're made up to make somebody look really good, so you'll idolize them. They're not really, they're not factual. They're not like you, right, Pamela? Well, I thank you, Mercy. So what I'm trying to say is, history. You need to do the history because most of the history is bull. Well, one of the reasons I do the rock tours is for that. I, people are very curious about what really happened, where it happened, and you know, it, it's very fun. My rock tours. Sign up, everybody. Come on, my. I'm with the band Rock Tours. You can go to PamelaDeBar.com and do that. Yes, and I wish you people would follow Lindsay Parker because she's just a really talented girl, and and she's you know she's uh, got lots of things. She's got many interviews with. She's on. She has a show with Michael DeBar. Yes, know. she does. In fact, yeah. they got. Guess who they got on today? Who? This is. I said, listen, you got to ask this guy. This Booker T. Booker oh, yeah, T. I saw the I said, T. you need to you need to ask him first of all about the racial if you can. If you can, say you had a friend that was a night with uh, Al Green in nineteen seventy one. Don't say don't have to say it's me. But tell about I had to get out of cars and yeah. that's how bad. Ask Booker T about that. And then ask Booker T about what stacks. The thing that actually changed and gave the blacks a coliseum full of blacks that helped change the world and the black attitude towards you know, or Booker uh, T and the MGs, you mean? Well, no, Watt Stacks. Oh, their own people, and he was part of that. Yeah, yeah. We had, at the Coliseum had their own uh, Woodstock. It was called the Black Woodstock, and it changed the way that the Black movement was going to be more acceptive and, and just change, like the Staple Singers, all these different people, changed the way everything was going. You know, and made them more aware. Of, of of the whole universe rather than just the we are it made him first of all it made him proud to be black yeah 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 that was really important it's really important that concert what year was that god you know if i ever really knew i can't figure <laughs> out why i was there 19 you were, my, I, I was there because oh, first of all i'll be there anyway because of stacks but i was actually the assistant manager to the bar case rufus thomas carla thomas albert king and they were all on that how so, did you come to to have that amazing gig and carla thomas how did i okay i was trying to get hold of shuggy otis i wanted to be with shuggy otis so i go get i i carla thomas who sang with otis Redding, his his partner on Tramp and all that, was in town, and sometime, somehow I got a hold of her, and I had her set up to go on the Johnny Otis radio show. Mm-hmm. So she had a manager called Sandra Newman, one of the only white, probably, managers. And her people were Carla, Rufus, the Barquets, Albert King. And so she came with us to the Johnny Otis show, and I was trying to impress Shuggy. Yeah. Shuggy was there. Oh. And um, and how old was Shuggy at the time? What, 16, 17? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. so Mercy robbed the cradle. Oh, come on. That's something compared <laughs> to Jimmy Page and the 14-year-olds. Anyway, so... Uh, uh, but, That's true. So, anyway, she, we're at the radio station, and she goes to me, how would you like to work for me as my assistant? Sandra Newman said that. Wow, And cool. I said, oh, my God. 
And so I ended up working for the guys that I totally loved, the Varkays, yeah. who I followed, you know, everywhere. I knew one of them. And when I knew one of them, he was the only living survivor off the Otis Redding plane crash. The yeah. only one that lived. Yeah. And I had, I say this, Otis, and I would, and she has it in her book. I would run around with Otis, that plane crash in my hand from Jet Magazine. She carried the picture of, of Otis Redding and, around in her little purse or wallet of him frozen stiff to in the, the co-pilot stra strapped in the co-pilot seat. You know, frozen about strange things. With icicles coming off of him. I went, oh my God, mercy. Uh, so my friend, Ben Colley Jr., who only died about two years ago, and I saw him about five at Amoeba with, they came, some other group, the uh, Vokies came out here. And he was still talking about the plane crash. God, he never got over the Otis Redding plane crash. And he saw the Barquets, because Otis was strapped in, like I said, to the co-pilot seat. He wasn't going anywhere. He was gone. It was over for him. The rest of them floated to the top, and they were waving at him and saying, help me, help me. And they all, they went down in front of him. And somehow he was saved, because I think he was sleepy when it hit, and just well, woke up to it. And, wow. You know, and then I be began working for him when he was young, and the new Barquets started. You know, because James Alexander was on another airplane. So he didn't die. So they started a new barcade. So I loved because they were like just total freaks. Total freaks. <laughs> I mean, that part, like, like you. Parliament, before Parliament. Yeah. Parliament yeah. kind of got stuff from the Bokeys, who in turn, I think, really got stuff from Zolar X. Oh, my God. Let's not go there. No, it's actually interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I can give you some history. Okay. Zolar X okay. came from Memphis. I didn't know that I met him during punk. Most people do not know the band Zolar X. X I know, but that's nice that they would know them. Uh, they, they should know them. They dress like space people. Yes, they did in Memphis. Yes. You can imagine that <laughs> in dressed. the 60s. So that's what the Funkadelics I and remember the Zolar X, they loved Michael DeBar. They loved well, Silverhead. Well, that's so interesting. I, I saw what they were and the, who they were before the punks. Yeah. And I had no idea they were from Memphis. Then right. I got it. Yeah. I got it. That's where the Barquets... And 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 the funkadelics and all those people. So so you think they Zolar X influenced I'm these sure people? They did. Wow, because no one bought their records or anything. No, but that had nothing to do with who they were. You know what they did in Memphis? Can you imagine them being in Memphis doing that in the late sixties? Yeah, it was pretty far out. Okay, so who's gonna see Didn't that? Didn't we used to, we used to hang out with Zolar X? I was real good friends with Wygar. He gave me right. some of his clothes. His name was Wygar. Yes, they were. Awesome. He's still here. They were in the Canterbury. <laughs> What's that? The Canterbury, we can get into punk and really give these people an education here. Okay. Canterbury was a hotel that everybody lived in. Okay, let's during... go into the punk world. Mercy did hair for a lot of punk bands. Mercy's had many, many lives. Okay. So let's uh, go I didn't there. know who to be after I came out of the Johnny Otis. Uh, I didn't know where to go or okay. what happened. Uh, let's nutshell this. She married Shuggy Otis, was a, a very involved in the Johnny Otis world, had a son, Lucky Otis, who you've heard on my podcast already. So after that, after she came out of that situation, we're going into the punk thing, right? Okay, what happened okay. was I had a friend that Marlo brought called Shannon. Shannon Marlo was takes... a BTO, remember? Yes. <laughs> Should I get you a thing? Anyway. So, <laughs> okay. So Shannon was my friend, and she had come out here with Marlo. So Marlo introduced me to Shannon, and she took me to the mask, which mm -hmm. I knew, it just started. 
The masses were all Mass punk was a started. club, punk club. The punk started that started everybody. Uh, very important. And if it, people leave L.A., the truth is people leave L.A. out of the blues. They leave it out of the punk. L.A. is not a center of music. Even with love, because they were from L.A., they leave L.A. out of a lot of stuff, except yeah. for the doors. But, yes, yes. But anyway, well, the birds. So the mask was the underground punk club, and she takes me there. Never heard of it. On the walls or stuff like kill <laughs> hate, all this white supremacy stuff. And I'm going, oh, my God, what is this? Very, the antithesis of what you believe. Exactly, exact office, 10 years later. So anyway, (laughs) she takes me, I ended up with Brendan Mullen. I went to bed with him. He was the best, then I told him this, he's dead now. He started punk. That was her best sexual experience. Besides Jerry Sikorsky, and he knows that in in the Rockabilly Rebels. But that's okay. (laughs) Anyway, so so anyway, um, the mass is the beginning of punk. Okay, I'm down there. Nobody knows who I am except for who? Don Bowles. Don Bowles. He came to my last party. Don Bowles, who was living with Weigar from Zolar X, (laughs) who had my album in there. Because I was going under the name. Our album. Our album. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, I was going under the name of Ravy Ray Vaughn. Ravy Ray Vaughn. Ravy, Ravy from... Amazing name. Buddy Holly and Rayvon from Revlon. I mean, you know. R-A-V-E-E. Rayvon was her name for a while. And How I was amazing in, I was in hair school, but I would go outside of hair school, and I found people to work on. I got the gears, and they became my... I was a stylist for the gears. And then... And then... Uh, uh, Levi and the Rockettes came over here from. I hated. England, I did England. not like punk. Okay, I'll try to finish I was some not of her sentences. Fan. I was not going for it, even though I believe that punk really started at the Wilton Hilton during sixty nine. Uh, sixty nine. What's the Wilton Hilton? The Wilton Hilton was a very famous place. You've heard of, haven't you? It's called the Wilton Hilton. It's it, you look it up on Wikipedia. It's there, and we lived there. So Doris. And Boris and Dolores, who I won't tell you really who they are, but that's the house we lived in. I would go downstairs in 69 to the basement, and I heard this stuff that I had never heard in my life. And I said, what is that? It was really punk. And what and was it? Punk. It was punk. I knew, but what, who, what band was it? I can't tell you who they are. Doris, Boris, and Dolores. I can't give their real names because somebody wants to be hidden here. Okay. Okay, but but can you say the name of the band? Doris, Boris, and Dolores. Okay. All that right. was her name. Anyway, so so anyway, after we moved out, I moved went with Shuggy. She sold the house. And before that, Blondie was there. And then the, the Screamers moved in there. So mm. that's where the, the beginning of punk really started. But anyway, let's go back and get the 79. I guess it was 75, 79, somewhere <laughs> around there. I walk in. How and old I, was Lucky? That's where you can figure the time frame. I don't know. I really don't know. 15, <laughs> okay. 14, okay. 14, probably 14, 15. Okay. And say, okay, I start doing hair. So I get the gears as my group that I'm styling. Okay. That's my main thing. Then a group, I'm in, the first time I ever went to the whiskey, after 
being at the whiskey with the GTOs and everything else. I we go performed in, at the whiskey. Yeah. I okay. go there later, 10 years later, with the consumers, which is Dom Bowles from Arizona. Black Randy and the Metro Squad were there. You wouldn't know them, but these are all the real punks. Okay. And I'm going, this is absolutely hideous. The group I went with tried to strangle their lead singer, and I thought it was actually a game. I thought they were kidding, but they weren't kidding. They were really doing it. Okay, and I'm going, this is the ugliest thing I've ever, this is really hideous. The music's hideous. What's happened to the whiskey? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, in comes this incredible-looking cat. They come walking in the door. They look, their suits are like, they were the Rockettes. They were Levi and the Rockettes. It was Rockabilly. Okay, their hair was done perfectly. And I'm going, oh my God, we're saved. We are <laughs> saved. So I walked up, I walked up oh, to the guy God. with him. And oh, at first Levi says to me, who's from England, I go, oh, it would be England. Because I, hate, I couldn't stand England because I thought they kind of ruined American music in a way. Because they got rid of a lot of our artists when they took over the charts. I kind of had a... And they were bringing us back. She didn't stuff. like the Beatles, okay? This, no, no, this is no, just that's, a fact. that's not the main thing. No, it had to do with the blues artists. How what happened, I know they brought it back, but they also took over their their spots, all the R&B, except for Motown and Sax. You know, basically blocked out people as good as Gene Chandler. Some of our greatest artists got just... And, and also some of the white people like Bobby Rydell and, yes, and, exactly. uh, and Dion. Yeah. And I was kind of annoyed at but. They always they did bring it back, so I had to give. So when, yes, he, they he, brought when it back. Levi opens his mouth, he's English, and he goes, "I want to play the Louisiana Hayride." First thing he says to me, and the guy with him <laughs> goes, "Do you know who you're talking to?" To Levi, and I said, "He goes, I didn't know it was Lee Childers, who's very famous. Okay, extremely -E -E. famous. E yes, very famous." He goes, "You're talking to Miss Mercy of the GTOs, and I want you to know that." To Levi. And uh, we became really close, and I started doing some of their hair. She did the most outrageous, amazing rockabilly hairdos. You've never seen anything quite as good. I don't it know how she called, she what, made what them so tall. Their hair it was yeah. unbelievable. Well, actually, mercy. it was called the uh, what was it called? The spiked rockabilly, because mm. you could either do it either way. But anyway, so they actually did end up at the Louisiana Hayride. My friend Tom Harris that had the club with Rodney Bigenheimer. English disco that I never went to and could give a darn about it anyway. I went. Well, you went, but I didn't. Okay, but Lori and I no know. offense, Let's Lori, but you guys, Sable was not very nice about us. Um, uh, they, they uh, I'm going off the, I'm the losing. deep end. I'm going you're off going the deep off. end. Yes. Okay. okay. You're going back to the punk scene when you're I doing know. hair. Okay. I know. No, I know. I got that. Uh, why was I there? We we were just talking about how you know you were involved in the punk world. You were right in the thick of it. No. And Darby Crash was your friend and all that stuff. I got that, but I had to... Uh, okay, the Louisiana Hayride, that's where I was going. That's where I was at. Okay. Tom Ayers, picks up, who was very close to me, picks up on what I'm doing, and we get the we get Levi and the Rockets to the Louisiana Hayride. It's like 1979 after they kicked it, like it kicked Elvis out. Can you imagine these? They were like three-fourths English... <laughs> And uh, two uh. Americans. And they go to Louisiana Hayride. And I go to Shreveport, too. I end up going there, too. And we went to the Hayride, and they played that. It was crazy. 
But, okay, here's another scene that happened that's kind of fun. When the Rockettes were playing here, the Mau Mau's, another group with Rick Wilder, who's actually in the Weekends videos. I thought it was a woman, but it's Rick. Uh, he's just, I know, it's crazy. No. Anyway, he was, we were at the Troubadour, and he was getting ready to go beat the heck out of the Rockettes. They hated Rockabilly. They were really against it because it was really bringing people to where it should be. You know, letting people see get away from that punk because punk was like a a straight line up. You know, there was no big ending there, and it went straight up, no no bridge. It was like forty five seconds of whatever it was. Anyway, chaos, chaos, really, except for a few good ones. Uh, but I like uh, the sex business. So the, here's the Mal. We're going to uh, they're really cute Mal Mal and forgot his name. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go up there. We're gonna beat them. You know, out of them on stage right now. And I said, wait a minute. I don't think you're going to do that because on the drums is Jerry Nolan from the Dolls. And they went, oh, really? I guess we're not going to do uh, that. Wow, you saved the night. <laughs> it was funny. Like you did probably many, many times anyway, in your life, honey. But anyway, but the punk was amazing. That's where I met Steve Olson, the skateboarder who who changed skateboarding. We, we kind of worked on it together. Uh, Steve Olson was up there with Tony Alva. And... I met him at the other mask, and uh, and we started like the skateboard thing. So that, changing it to, from uh, grunge to punk because it was kind of the album was kind of grungy. Mercy, your stories are just okay. That's enough about that. Spectacular, spectacular. Well, okay, let's 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 fast forward a little bit now. After you did all this wild shit, you got married to the wrong guy. But excuse but, me. No, after Shuggy, after well. Oh, okay. oh, okay. Oh no, no, I know Shuggy was the right guy to marry. Okay, I'm not. I dreamed. About... I dreamed. She I... dreamed Shuggy and married him and all that. It's I wonderful. dreamed I married Shuggy and then I did marry Shuggy. So didn't um, even know him then. So I'm talking about. I'm yeah. not going to even say his name. So he, but but he got you. The only good thing he did for you was get you a job at Goodwill. Yeah, for twenty years. And he... she's she has worked at Goodwill for twenty freaking years. That was a good thing he did for you. Though. Yeah, it was. And and he was a terrible he also, asshole. He also, we were on crack together. We lived homelessly, which I love because of Desolation Row. To me, that Bob Dylan song was, I wanted to live that Bob Dylan song. And she did. For and seven did. years, she was homeless. No, I wasn't. No, that's not true. Well, okay, tell me. I had apartments here and there. We had apartments, and we would just spoke ourselves out of them. Yeah, well, so I, did, I, I remember it? one of the apartments on Wilcox. I live with, remember, I remember yeah. the lady I lived with. We had, I, we had apartments. Oh, I was so worried about her. I would meet her every every once in a while because I never, ever wanted to lose touch with no, her. No, she even was though, right there. Even though she was a freaking crackhead. Well, I never did. Crackhead. I, I became a crackhead because when I got here back from Lake County, I went to Lake County because my mother died, was dying, and then she died. And I went up to live with my she sister. She was really close with her mom. She, yeah, was six, I went uh, up to Lake County for about, Four years or something? Yeah. Uh, to get away from everything, I was losing my mind. I actually had a nervous breakdown. I stopped yes. doing drugs, and you can't just stop drugs. You can't without coming down or, you know, going to rehab, which they didn't really have. They didn't have Or any then. help or anything. I just stopped them. And I wouldn't, between my mother dying and stopping drugs, I went into whatever that spiral is. 
And might even had some of that when you had a baby and then you couldn't take care of the PM whatever that they PTSD. That might have no, it's not PTSD. PMS? No. I might have had post traumatic even back when that happened because my marriage fell apart. Whatever. Yeah, everything happened at once. So I so anyway, I'm up there and uh, why why am I up there? Because I ran away from everything. Yes, you went up to Lake County and but but then you came back down and met. The guy okay, I'm not when I mention. came back down, when I came back down, this whole place where I lived was Crackville. The Maralitas from Cuba had been sent over here by Castro, and they brought, you know, when he kicked them out of the country, that was 1980, whatever, they brought the crack. So when I got to where I was at on Argyle, I moved to Argyle. Yes. Yeah, I remember very well. The whole from Quanga to Argyle was filled with 18th Street Grant, uh, 18th Street Gang, before MS13 came in. Okay, and they everybody was, the whole place was cracked up every corner. So my ex boyfriend Bernardo, I went and stayed with him too. Had been a crackhead. I had missed all that because there was no crack up in Lake County. There was feet. I went back on meth up there, but there was no meth here, so I went back. I went on crack. And I went there for eight years. It was harrowing for her friends, especially me, you know. I would go find her literally under a bridge. No, you never. You I, said Victor. No, I, I found I came there once too, and you were on a you were pushing a cart. She pushed a cart like a homeless lady. Which yeah, is but what I she looked was. good. You, she did look good. She never ever neglected her visual. I've got to say that right now. She yeah, always like just, looked good. But uh, yeah, I loved it. It was like Desolation Row. I would she, go to Skid Row and say, "Yeah, just, she has no regrets about being, you know, except semi homeless for all those years. That's incredible." My son basically was well. He didn't. My son was basically with Otis's, but he would run away. He was he the Peter's family. Her followed family. the same. Her family, Peters. Followed the same thing. My sister disappeared at 15, got married. I disappeared at 15. My son, no matter where he was, was with the Otis's, left that. The Johnny Otis family. Yeah, left that. Yeah. We just all rebelled at 15, which is typical. <laughs> it is well, okay, now I'm going to fast forward a little bit because we're running out of time. Okay. Um, you got clean three months before you started coming to help me take care of my mom. I got clean, when I, yeah. Uh, I got clean. What I just, got you clean? What got me clean? I was living with, uh, I was away from my husband because he beat my face in. And yeah, he, see, he, uh, that was an operation. This is all. Um, she uh, has metal in metal. her face okay. because he yeah, punched he, her out. Okay. And we anyway, all can't he was stand wild. that guy. And he went, even though he got sober and got into goodwill and I followed him. He got unsober, and I decided I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. So uh, I'm out but, of, for, away but, from him. But she stayed sober. No, I didn't get sober yet. I'm over oh. at this house uh, just to be away from him. And I it was Thanksgiving Day, and I put my pipe the day night before outside because the woman I lived with had wanted nothing to do with that. Put my pipe outside by the uh, trash cans. And uh, when, the next day I went to go get my pipe. And it was missing, and there was an AA meeting across the street, and I said, I'm done. And I walked into the AA meeting, and that was it. It's not that I became an AA member, and I went to NA, but I decided that it's really, if you're trying to get away from drugs, why sit there and listen to stories about them? 
Mm-hmm. You know, the further I could get away from it, and it just worked. It's like she stopped. It was. I remember it all so. I was so thrilled. And then three months later, my mom wasn't. You know, had become pretty sedentary, and I moved her into the house behind me. We had a guest house, and Mercy became her caretaker. Well, and you didn't move me in there because I still live with no, Leonard. No, no, no. Yeah. I did. Oh. I moved my mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then Mercy came three days a week and got really close Sometimes with my mom. Sometimes longer because you would go on trips. Yeah, but she was there a lot. Anyway, she was my mom's other companion besides and I'm me. And no, I'm actually the one that said I hear something in her lungs. Yeah. And we took her and then right out. That, that's a sad story, but. Well, she was with me when my mom passed. It was yeah. We were in the same room. She she called me in. I was in sleeping in her bed, and Uh she said, "Come on, Mercy," and we just sat there and watched her take her last. It was amazing. It happened that fast. You know, hospice came in. So yeah, hospice came in. Once her in there, you got like three days. But I remember her raising up. She was completely lifeless, right? I mean, on her way out, and at the last second, she sat up and put her arms out like that, way up. Like and opened Listen, her you, eyes. You must have saw that, and I didn't. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, probably right before I called you in. It yeah. was an amazing moment. But anyway, Mercy and my my mom and I got all very close together. Yeah, it was, and it kept fabulous. helped keep her sober. Oh, really? It's that, so great. And, he, and I never drank. I was never an alcoholic because my father, I had done. He was an alcoholic and and also an amphetamine taker. By the way, I um and a gambler. And he killed himself. And he committed suicide. Yeah. Uh, and he said goodbye to Rodney and Ripley and uh, Morrison. I, I don't know. Well, he said, but he constantly tried to kill himself. <laughs> he was suicidal throughout. Oh my God! He what just a wasn't treated. history she's got. Anyway, so um, where were we? Um, we're we're coming towards the end. Yeah, right. And yeah. we were doing what? Um, we were talking about my mom and how you it yeah, helped yeah, keep yeah, you yeah. sober to be okay. So like care of my surrounded mom. by morphine, and I didn't touch anything. I didn't touch it, and I never. Touch it. I did the same thing with cigarettes. I, I, which I, okay, I can't say. But okay. anyway, uh, twenty yeah. years now. She's twenty-four years. You've been sober, right? I've been off street drugs. Um, I, I went ten total years without, um, without any drugs, and then uh, I, I had cancer twice, uh, which. Well, that's different when they're prescribed and they're part of your treatment. Right, right. But so, I never abuse them. I never. Yeah, I had she's a, sober. I, had, I have a thing about it where I'm very careful about. I was very careful about what I took and when. You could leave me with a whole prescription bottle, and you know, I if it was back in the day, if it was a bottle of speed, it'd be uh, gone in three days. Yeah, I'd put it all in a syringe and just okay. <laughs> well. I think our time is up, sweetheart. Don't say that. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, for today. Yes, it is for today, because I really want to have Mercy as my sidekick on you know more occasions because there's still we're so, good together. Well, there's still so much more to talk about. I mean, my God, we barely touched it again. I mean, how much? How long have we been hanging out? Fifty years, fifty-two <laughs> years. That's insane, right? I know. But anyway, thank you for being here, Mercy. I love you more than anything in this world. Well, I love you more than anything my other half. And uh, I, I really appreciate everybody here. I can put you in. Pantheon! Can you say their names? Sure, go ahead. Aaron and Jerry. Yes. 
our 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 team. Our team. Our Pantheon team. For real. Well, anyway, Mercy, thank you again, and we'll do this again. Yes, and look for my book, uh, Permanent Damage, uh, co-authored by the great Lindsay Parker, which should be, we hope, out in this year. Sometime. Yes. Yeah, 2020. Like we're at the end. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Ciao, Manhattan. How much is that dog in the window? The one with the waggly tail. How much is that dog in the window? I do hope that dog is for sale. I must take a trip to California and leave my poor... Okay, how was that? I'm, I, there's very few people in this world who could tell a story like Mercy does, is there? And, and you know, it's so cool to talk about Graham. Uh, I'm going to Nashville next week to celebrate him again. I often speak at his, you know, like festivals, memorials and things. So it was great to, to remember some of the great stuff about Graham with Mercy. And also, she is writing a book. Mercy's book is almost finished, and you're going to be so lucky to read it. So that was amazing. Thank you, Mercy. I love you so much. I love her so freaking much. <sighs> okay, dolls. I hope you tune in to all my different podcasts. And until next time, I am Miss Pamela, and you've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party. And you know, you can keep up with everything I do at my website, PamelaDebar.com. And my words of wisdom this week is to dance, okay? Dance. Go out there and dance. Find a club nearby you and hear some live music and move your damn feet to the beat. Listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Pantheon Podcasts, Rock and Roll Archaeology on Instagram, and Pantheon Pods on Twitter.
January 1978, a 19-year-old singer-songwriter has released her debut single. Those notes you just heard were the first notes of music that the world ever heard from a young British woman. And with that debut song, she influenced a whole new generation of female singers and showed what women in music could really do. Kate Bush. Hi, I'm Cecily, your host of the podcast, Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. In this podcast, I'm discussing the history and story of every song that Kate Bush has ever produced in order, album by album. And every episode features a fan or two talking about why they love that song so much. We talk about not just the big hits. But also the B-sides and her collaborations. So come join me on a journey through the extensive catalog of the one and only Kate Bush. Available now wherever you get your podcasts and a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.